Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yes, I know. Uh, yeah, it's not Thursday, is it? It's, it's Friday. But you knew that. If you follow us on Twitter or Instagram, you will know that we had to change it to Friday this week because I've just, only a few minutes ago, stopped recording Season 9, Episode 20 with the remarkable Gemma Whelan. And I think, I think, I know you're going to act absolutely love it what a season it's been we're bowing out on a high uh, and i think it's worked you know the reason why we sort of reformatted it to not keep rolling the episodes on when there was times when i couldn't guarantee you an episode a week because you know look producer griff works with uh, other brilliant podcasters uh, but you know this is his home. This is this is where he's always going to stay. Um, obviously, I've got another career. Um, and I don't want to let you down as our very loyal family of listeners, which you are. You know, we're a family. It's been five years. We can safely say that now. Um, whereas, if I can deliver seasons and twenty episodes a season, have a little break and then come back, um, then that's a good thing, right? Then you know you're getting episodes week in, week out, which you have been. And look, if you haven't listened to all the episodes of this season, go back and also go back through other seasons. After today, after this episode, you've got nine seasons to go back on. Um, You know, all sorts of incredible conversations that we've had over the last five years, and they just keep on coming, and we're not going to stop. I mean, I say we're not going to stop, we are going to stop. We're going to have a little break. Um, More of that in a bit. Uh, Yeah, some uh, exciting things to talk to you about, and I'll get to that in a second. Now, we've got some parish notices, Uh, so excuse me for uh, waffling on a bit, but don't, don't fast forward. This is all important stuff. Now, past guest... Andy Nyman, we've done two episodes with Andy, um, who's a lovely friend of mine. A big shout out to him, uh, the director Matthew Dunster and Martin McDonough. Now, if you are in New York City or you live there, do yourself a favour, pop down to Broadway because they are in previews as I speak for Martin's play, The Remarkable Hangmen. Um, which uh, they started previews a couple of years ago, obviously had to shut down. They've recast uh, many of the parts and they are in previews now and I think it's going to be a less of a bumpy ride for them on Broadway. So do go down to see that if you're there. And also, Maya Sondi, good friend, past guest, Parminder Nagra, good friend, past guest, and also today's guest, Gemma Whelan, star very soon in a show created by Maya. 
It's called D.I. Ray. It's on ITV very soon. Give that a watch and give it your support. Good. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned before, whilst we are off air, behind the scenes, the work does not stop. We're going to be recording new episodes ready for season 10. But also, I want you to keep an eye on your feeds because I'm going to be releasing something next week. It's just going to be me talking. I'm going to tell you about some changes. No, 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 don't, don't worry. These are all changes for the best. It's still going to be the Two Shot Podcast that you know and love. It's just going to be shinier, brighter, and a little bit more beautiful. Intriguing, yeah? Keep an eye on your feeds next week, and I'm going to tell you in great detail exactly what is going on. I'm just looking at my notes. Let me have a look. Now, um, keep a listen on the outro. I'm going to be telling you about some new podcasts that I'm really loving that I think you should subscribe to whilst we're off air. Uh, That'll be in the outro. Well, I think we should get to it, shouldn't we? Episode 20 of season nine. I couldn't be more thrilled. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Gemma Whelan for many a year. Um, She's an actor I really admire because effortlessly she switches from comedy to drama on telly. Um, and she's, she is, she's one of my favourite actors. She really is. Um, and why it's hard to put my finger on it. I just believe her. I believe everything that comes out of her mouth. We, we touch on this in our conversation about the difficulties of the craft and acting and being organic and wanting to, to not recreate and just, you know, so that's the police in Dublin, don't worry. Um, anyway, look, I'm babbling, but look, get into it. This is brilliant. Look, you're going to know Gemma from all sorts of stuff, aren't you? Look, Game of Thrones, Gentleman Jack that's on telly right now, End of the Fucking World, which is a brilliant, brilliant show. Um, you can get that on 4OD. Um, we talk about stand-up comedy, we talk about comedy, uh, the crossovers of drama, the crossovers of television to theatre, uh, North and South, children, being a mum. Oh, there's so much in here. It's brilliant. She's fantastic and very lovely, as are you, for downloading. Let's get to it. This is Season 9, Episode 20 of the Two Shot Podcast. We are bowing out. This is the brilliant end of season nine with Gemma Whelan. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Gemma Whelan, you are our final guest on season nine, and I cannot tell you genuinely, I am thrilled that you're our final You're guest. so nice, because I was listening to last week's episode and I was hearing you saying, yet to be announced, we're talking to a few people, I was like, it's me, it's me, oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, um, and I've, I'll, I've said this in the intro anyway, I, I am a big fan of your work 
Full stop. Thanks. Not that we talk about work that much on this podcast. Um, but it's funny. And I don't know, and I don't want this to sound weird, but I always feel that, why haven't we met? As I was like, going to say that during this conversation at some point. It feels like we should have worked together or met somehow. Yeah. yeah. So let's make it happen. Let's make it, it's not odd though to say that. Just no, like, no, no, no. I've had the same whenever thought. Whenever you, but you, you are, and you're so relatable on screen. Oh, thank I you. Think, I think that's why people get you. Oh, that's nice. So do you, is that, is that a Northern thing? Is that a Yorkshire thing? Oh, what is it? That's a big question. That is a big question. Because if I say, yes, it is, then that kind of um, dismisses the whole of the South. <laughs> it alienates the whole, a whole well, no, earship I, you I have. I don't know. I mean, so, maybe, there is, maybe there isn't an answer. Maybe not. Maybe it's just, I don't know who I've turned out to be. Well, I'm not, maybe I'm not even trying to be. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just when you get a role, you really, I think the start of it is if you can relate to that character and then if you can relate to that character, then that is going to obviously, hopefully, cause you to be naturally relatable. Is that too weird to say? No, not at yeah. all. Did you, have you ever been pushed in a direction by a director that, you didn't feel was the right avenue to go down? Occasionally. It, I've been quite fortunate, really, in, to work with lots of sort of really good, open people, but occasionally it's happened where I've had an instinct and I've done it. So I don't know if this has happened to you. And then we sort of go all around the houses and actually occasionally it turns out I was right all along. It doesn't always happen, mm-hmm. but occasionally that's happened where I've done something and, you know, often it is wrong and they've got a great suggestion, but occasionally, or not wrong, but different from what, what they envisaged. And But occasionally someone will, a director will ask me to do something. Like, oh, gosh, that just feels totally wrong for this. But I'll give it a try. Because, um, you know, I, I like to say, you know, let's try it, let's try it. And sometimes you surprise yourself and sometimes it's like, oh, no, that was right initially. And then one time on, um, it's on Game of Thrones, actually, uh, one of the directors... Uh, was trying to intone for me. He was trying to tell. He was saying the line for me, but mm-hmm. he wasn't British, so the voice was slightly different from how I might say it anyway. And we did about twenty or thirty takes of me trying to go da 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 da, and mm. he kept coming over like I'm just doing that. I don't ever want that to, to to seem disrespectful, so I won't use the correct words. But like you know, he was trying to get me to do in his accent and it just didn't sit right at all and I did it so many times and every time he just kept coming over going no no and it's not it's a bit boring for everyone to know but like it's quite a golden unknown unspoken rule that like you don't tell an actor how to say a line you can talk to them about how they might say it but you don't ever say the line in the intonation you think because the actor will it's just I don't know I don't know how to (laughs) No, is everyone I mean, the delighted I'm is... the last guest? The rambling no. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like you don't don't give a line reader. That's it. That's exact. That's what I was trying it's... to say. Don't give a line. But reader. also, thank you. But also, what obviously you were trying to say there was his intonation was completely different to how you would interpret it yeah. from your character. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. And, and I got all caught of, up in it, and I got caught after, up in it, and then I went home and stewed on it, and anyway. Oh, yeah. 
Are you good at switching off at the end of a day? Better and better. Better and better, yeah. Do, I think initially, you, think that... you know, when I first went, you know, Game of Thrones was my first big job and I'd go home every night going, oh my goodness, I got all that wrong. I should have done it better. I should have done differently. Oh, was I good enough? And now I, I feel like they don't move on until they've got it. So it's okay. And I feel satisfied that I tried my best largely now. Um, that I think that I think sometimes the big emotional scenes, you really want to bring it. And so that's often the build up to that is prior to the day. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, I'm like, well, I'll try and leave it all on the dance floor, Craig. <laughs> Look, we try our best. We try best, our best. But the thing is, I think it comes, uh, and not to sound pompous, but it comes with age and experience, but mm. also um, trust with who you're working with and not just fellow actors, but, you know, the 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 captain of the ship, which is the director. Yeah. It all stems from that. And yeah. if the trust is there, I, I, you know, personally, I'm more than happy to jump off the building because yeah. I'm going to get caught. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'll take those risks because I'm in a safe space. Yeah. And trusting yourself as well, you know, that you're there yeah. because you deserve to be there. Where initially I think I had a bit of imposter syndrome because I sort of had a roundabout way of arriving at where I am now. We're not a sort of conventional drama school route, so, you know, trying to prove I belonged there. But now it's, I feel relatively secure. Which <laughs> is something we'll go back to and get into, I'm sure. But just to not talk about jobs by talking about jobs, mm-hmm. um, I saw a trailer yesterday for a new ITV show. Oh, D.I. Ray. That you're in with, that's created by one of my good friends, and you're starring alongside another one of my good friends, both of whom Maya Sondi and Parminder Nagra oh, have wow. been on this podcast. Of course they have. So, it was, and I didn't know you were in it until I saw it yesterday, and I texted Parminder yesterday in Los Angeles and went, "It looks amazing," and Does I'm talking good. to Gemma Whelan tomorrow. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it looks really good. It's, it's a brilliant series. I'm a very, very small part of it. They were very kind. They approached me about it while I was pregnant with Freddie, um, and they said, "We know you'll have just had a baby, but would you like to come and do this? We'll make it as easy for you as we can." The producer Charlotte was just incredible with normalising having a baby and working, and so we did it. And he was five weeks old when I did that shoot. So. <laughs> Wow. But it was like 12 days over six weeks. It's really a, a very manageable thing. And we had a, a nanny who helped. And it was actually the best time to work because babies at that age are just little sleepy blobs. So mm. it was really nice, Maya being a mother and Parminda being a mother and, you know, Charlotte at the helm sort of producing and making it normal. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, I say starring alongside. It's rather... Oh, hold on. Uh my auntie's trying to call me. You bet. Are you still That's okay. there? <laughs> I can. I can. I can hear you. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just great to do a small job postpartum. Um, but yes, it's rather large words to say I'm starring alongside. I sort of happened to appear in a couple of scenes. Is <laughs> a little more accurate. <laughs> well, look, it's always nice to see you on screen. But just going back with your first child, mm-hmm. how how because you said that. Uh, then, you know, Charlotte made it very accessible mm-hmm. and easy for you to go back to work. How was it with your first child going back to work? Be, not just, I suppose, with the industry being 
uh, kind and accepting with a new mother, but also you as a first time yeah. mother going back. Um, it was actually similarly great, really. I, I mean, I, I had to go back on Game of Thrones quite quickly after, um, and my husband came with me. And again, that was quite spread out, but she was very welcome, my daughter. And she had a little, um, they called it the booby wagon. <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons <laughs> and I'd just nip off and feed her and it was it was quite nice to feel very welcome there as well and I, I brought her on every job I did thereafter and it was just sort of factored in um, I think you have to sort of not obviously not throw your weight around and go I'm off to feed my baby now you know I'd just obviously say you know maybe in the next 10 minutes I might need to go and feed her or whatever you know you mm-hmm. work with people and make it sort of you know a good sort of communication and, and have good childcare and it, it's possible so yeah it was it was fine but from a sort of mental point of view yeah I think it, it was all right because she was with me all the time and she was looked after by her dad and her auntie and me and was on set all the time so it, it didn't feel like she was apart from me um very much so yeah it was so the, quite nice actually fa- to feel to feel it, to be at work, you know, and to be sort of speaking to grown-ups is quite important, isn't it? So I had the best I of mean, both, which was quite nice. I was very fortunate. When you, when you miss that for so long, you just go, I yeah. just need to talk to a grown-up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find myself having gone a full day and then just telling Jerry, as my husband, I just find myself telling him, like, well, I, I put on some trousers today and... Um, Yes, uh, did you notice I've um, I've arranged the books and I just talk nonsense to him? I, I had a few thoughts today, or, or I had three wees, like anything. To, to... <laughs> so yeah, it's quite nice to sort of balance out with a bit of work. Because it can be, it can be an odd thing. I remember when I and, and you know, obviously I'm not a mother, but I'm a father. I remember when I went back, I was already contracted to go back to a job. I think it was about three weeks after my. Yeah son was born and I had terrible guilt yeah 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 because obviously I was going off and I was earning and I was you know well I've got to sort of providing yeah, this because one I'm under contract and two well I've got to pay the bills yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um it was hard to to settle into it yeah I must yeah admit, after a while and then it made it did make me think even at the time which is I'm going back um well he's nearly 11 at the end of May, so, you know, 10 and a bit years ago. Um, how it must feel for, for a mother going mm. back um, to work in our industry if if it's what? What if it's a super low budget? They don't have a booby wagon. They don't have X, Y, Z amenities to, to make this mother feel secure and safe yeah. and give her the time if she needs it emotionally to yeah to ground herself you know? yeah yeah there were there were certainly the, always the guilt but i think i think because i think for a dad it's different because you don't really have not to use it as an excuse but the excuse of having to bring the baby because you're breastfeeding so mm-hmm. like by dint of that she was with me a lot of the time and also as you know like there's loads of di- downtime as an actor where you're just sitting around so it felt like i was with her a lot but certainly I was sort of dragging her around the country and I was saying to my husband sometimes, like, am, I, am I damaging her? Am I damaging her? And he was like, no, she's with a parent all the time and she's really lucky that she's with you most of the time on set, so it's fine. But definitely that guilt. And also, yeah, after having said yes to D.I. Ray, 
before he was born, my son, once he was born, I was just like, why did I say yes to that? I just want to be at home in my nest forever. Mm-hmm. And then slowly it came around that it was actually fine and really enjoyable. But yeah, it's a really hard line to tread. But you're right, you know, there's a mortgage to pay and you love your work. And hopefully they'll see that you were working hard and providing and living an interesting life that they can be inspired by. That's my excuse anyway when she has therapy. <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, think right. excuse, I don't think it's an excuse either. I no. think it's just it's normality. It's the, the, it's the times, I mean, it's not the times we live in, it's just, it's just natural, Yeah, isn't it? And yeah. I think we're fortunate as well as actors because I think if I was camera up or any, any other role on the floor that are there from like the crack of dawn till the end of play every day, and they're on all the time. I don't think you could do it, unfortunately. So, the, the well, uh, of course. How could you? How could you be a focus puller? No, exactly. And then pop off and go and breastfeed. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's one thing we were talking on the um, the Patreon special about traits we deplore in others, and moaning is mine. A moany, yeah, moany uh, person. Moaners, yeah. It's just like yeah, I, I have got it. no time yeah. for it at all because it, the privileged position that we are one to, to you know to be fortunate enough, right, to to do something that we love, yeah. and and throw ourselves into heart and soul, yeah. But you just said yourself, we spend more time sat on our arse, mm. waiting for everybody else who is so skillful to, to set up and do their job yep. and, and pop those lights up and make sure that camera's in that position. Mm-hmm. And then we come on and do that. And then someone goes, do you want a cup of tea? Yeah, I know. We're treated we like little babies, aren't we? We're <laughs> driven everywhere. We're dressed, we're fed, we're watered. We're, you know, cuddled if we need it, whatever. It's <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a lovely job to be able to do, and and uh, I feel very fortunate any time I, I land one. Certainly. Yeah. Ex- well. It, yeah. D- still now. Still. Oh God. I'm, I'm always oh. worried I'll never work again as well. I mean, everyone is, aren't they? Well, I think they are. I do think they are, and I, I've I've been fortunate enough, as you have, to work with older. Well, fucking legends yeah, yeah. Of, of 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 this of this business, and still they go. Well, you know, hopefully I'll get another gig. Who I, knows? I, I mean, I don't know if another script's going to come, yeah. but you know it might do. Yeah, and I'm like, but you're you, like, of course Exa- it will, well, you idiot. Of course it will. Like, <laughs> but it's that thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The gra- that that grass is always greener, yeah, and yeah. you just sort of, <gasps> yeah. But it never goes away. And then when you're fortunate enough to to be asked to do something else. <gasps> oh, somebody wants just... me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm loved. I know. <laughs> it's really psychologically interesting, I think, isn't it? But yeah, it's, um, I mean, it re- it's a real it hit, really... isn't it, when, you, when you're when you wanted for a role or you get the gig. Um, yeah. And it's also devastating when you have to say no. I've just had to say no to one which was, I think I mentioned at the beginning, that was shooting over in Budapest and with two little ones and like two, I mean, unfortunately it was just two days notice. I think, you know, to be honest, someone had perhaps not been able to do it in the end. So, um, and I would have loved to do it because I'd loved the script and all that. And it's just 
oh, I can't really get to Budapest with a baby and a four-year-old who hasn't got a passport currently and we don't have a nanny and Jerry's working. Like, it's, it's literally logistically impossible. Yeah. I would be there if I could. But that's, it's also, I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, it's so painful when you have to say no, poor me. But, um, you know, to be wanted and then to kind of, obviously our, our whole industry is about us taking rejection. But to give a rejection is really painful. But, but the, th- the thing is, you feel like you're letting somebody down. Exactly, exactly. And, and I don't want been, to be that they've person. Been, they've been so kind and... To, to offer you the yeah, job. Somebody and you wants think, me and oh, thank oh my God, you. There's somebody wants me. That's amazing. But log- like logistically, got, I mean, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. To fly to Budapest in two days with no nanny and a six month old and think that we can make that work, probably with quite a lot of night shoots. Uh, and I'm all for making it work, always. So it's really painful to go, do you know what? This is just a little bit beyond me, I think. So, yeah. Saying no is also hard, but, you know, hopefully I, I don't have to do that very much because I do love my work. Gemma, there's a little thing that we do for uh, the people who support us on Patreon mm-hmm. and we ask uh, a few questions, and we've already done that round. Mm-hmm. But to sort of segue into something else, I want to just hark back to a question that I didn't ask you, mm-hmm. and it's... Comedy or drama? Oh, you had a really interesting conversation with... Who was it? I can't remember. You having a really interesting conversation with... Uh, uh, it's coming, Mark Bonner, about ah. comedy and drama. And if you can do mm-hmm. comedy, you can do drama. But if you can do drama, you can't necessarily do comedy. I would, mm-hmm. I would say... That's really tough, because I did so much comedy. I love drama, but I think my mm-hmm. heart is always comedy. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think you're I, I I absolutely think you're right if there is a, a right answer. Yeah. But I, I basically what I'm saying is I agree with you. Yeah, comedy. Because my my heart has from a young child has always been comedy. Yeah, yeah. From the day, yeah, I, absolutely making my friends laugh at school and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I was talking to one of my closest friends who lives in Antwerp the other day. Um, and he's got a, an almost four-year-old. Yeah. And he sat and showed his son, Charlie Chaplin, for the first time. Wow. So he'd never seen Charlie Chaplin before, never seen a black and white film before. Yeah. And he roared with laughter all the way through. Oh, I'm going to try that with Francis. Well, I remember yeah. when I... I, I um, used to have a, uh, uh, it's broken now. I used to have a projector. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. And I remember showing my son Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. And we sat and watched Way Out West for the first time. Again, it was about five or six. And yeah. He'd never seen a black and white before, never seen Laurel and Hardy before, and was just glued and just yeah. laughed his socks off yeah all the way it's through. magic isn't it showing them those old things we, we showed francis the singing in the rain dance oh she's just mesmerized she does tap dancing now i think because of it oh, like she's just really in completely in awe of of that whole scene she's again 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 so yeah it's really powerful isn't it those old things that you can show them i know it's not comedy but uh it's it's just showing no, but it's, ma- it's it's showing them magic it, yeah it, ex- exactly that was about to say yeah. it's complete mm. magic especially what you just 
described yeah. it really is and that ne- even now yeah Timeless. watching that my heart isn't kind it of leaps. just i get moved by it i get moved mm. by those kind of enormously skillful turns they used to do and and of course we'll know and you know they they would have shot that over and over and over and over again to get all those angles and they're just full of glee every single time even though they must be shattered it's just yeah the the art and the sweat of it is just magic tell me Gemma, when did uh comedy sort of walk into your life as a, a young girl I think I always loved making my friends laugh at school and I used to watch I Love Lucy a lot and I just, uh, on Harry Enfield and all of those things, I used to just watch, I used to devour comedy and, um, yeah, and just love being at school and making people laugh and being, you know, the cheeky one or the clown. Um, and I and I, I think a couple of my friends used to say to me when I was, you know, younger, they said, you should be a stand-up, you should be a stand-up. And... Um, I don't know. I just, I just, that was my mode of communication, I think, um, being funny and light. Um, How was school for you? It was all right. My primary school, I I, I lived in Leeds until I was about eight or nine, and then we moved to Birmingham, and I loved Leeds, and my little primary school there was great. And then when we moved to Birmingham, because of my dad's job, um, during the the recession of 89, I didn't really like the new school. You know, moving a kid when they're sort of that age is really intense for the child. Mm. I, think. I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't know where we were. So I didn't really have a great experience then. But secondary school was good. Secondary school was, was fun. And that's where I met my English teacher, Miss Clark, who always steered me towards the school plays and the school performances and, and musicals and stuff and that's where I lived was in the sort of English department, the drama department, just doing mm. as much as I could um, there because I wasn't particularly academic. Um, but that's where I, you know, was fortunate enough to, as I say, Miss Clark is my hero because she just nurtured that thing that was so alive in me already that she could obviously recognise that I couldn't channel, I think, which is why I was probably getting into quite a lot of trouble. <laughs> being a bit cheeky <laughs> yep i mean i i can re- i can relate to all yeah i bet i bet yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but again you know we're talking about trust doing what we do now uh, in our careers with directors trust with uh teachers yeah you know at uh, such an early age when we're kind of figuring out who we are as human beings and lots of hormones and emotions going around if someone sits you down and goes no look you can do this this is for you yeah you're accepted and this is the place where you feel comfortable so yeah of course you're gonna spend most of the time in the english department yeah that's a lovely way to say it yeah absolutely it's all about communication yeah you know it's all about communication. yeah exactly not just telling a child off but just finding them their way to channel themselves um so yeah i was that was my sort of routine and and uh i was i was daisy and daisy pulls it off just a oh, very, very funny, funny play. Very funny he play. He just howled during rehearsals, often during the performances as well. Very unprofessional. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That's the time. Just, that's the yeah, time to laugh. That's the time to get it out. Yeah, that's the time. Because, uh, yeah, we just had an absolute hoot and we stayed after school to do rehearsals and it was just, you know, magic, really. I use that word a lot, but it, it was alchemic for me. So did you, when the uh, sort of, 
you know, friends <clears throat> mentioned to you about stand-up. Were you aware of what it was? Yes, I was, uh, yeah. You were? Yeah, I was, because we'd, we'd, a lot it's sort of... I think people like Billy Connolly and... Is Eddie Izzard and people like that were on the telly and, you know, my parents were sort of big fans of comedy as well. So that would often be on. So I, I knew what the concept was. And uh, when I went to uni, there was a module on my course that was stand-up comedy and I was really scared. So I signed up for the cabaret one instead. Mm. And then on the day, I just got up from the cabaret room and walked into the stand-up room and said, I'm changing modules. I made the decision on the day and then, yeah, that sort of led me to have my first gig and find my way into stand-up that way, which is terrifying, but I'm thrilled that I tried it and now don't oh have my to God. do it. <laughs> Tell me, because as anybody who's listened to this for the last five years know, apart from uh, my curiosity of people and <clears throat> talking and acting, stand-up comedy and comedy in general is just... Oh, I'm just so fascinated yeah. by it yeah. all, isn't it? it? Yeah, because I, I just think it's such. Uh, I mean, it kind of blows my mind. Sometimes I don't even have the words for it, but it, it kind of it fascinates me so much that one person can get up, even in a room that's with ten people in or five people. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many people, but to make somebody laugh. Yeah. And in so many different ways. Mm. From like, I'm a huge fan of Tim Key, um, oh. but also a huge fan of Bill Bailey and their their styles couldn't be more different. No. But they're just brilliant. But like, the idea of like Tim Key's the guy who like, completely deadpan, appears to hate everyone in the room, gets up and does really sort of stupid poems. That doesn't sound funny. And he's, it's just something about him, his, his... His chemistry, his physicality, he's just, it wouldn't work on anyone else. It's just brilliant from him. As, you know, Bill Bailey, as I think you talked about Stuart Lee with Mark Bonner as well. And um, yeah, and I love Glenn Wall as well. Do you know Glenn Wall? I've had Glenn oh, Wall on this podcast. Have you? Have you? So yes. I haven't heard that one. I, f- I love him. We, I think Him we, live, I've cried oh, laughing. He's, he's brilliant. I've cried brilliant. laughing. Yeah, we sat, we sat in Soho Square in 2018 oh I think, wow and had a and had a conversation he's brilliant yeah. but also you see you talk about uh, you know tim key's <clears throat> persona and his delivery you know you could also say dylan moran yes who like you go he goes on stage and it's like it's someone who kind of doesn't really want to be here yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in that he's already yeah. got the audience eating out the palm of his yeah. hand. He's not. He's not trying to be funny. Yeah, he just is. Yeah, he just is. That's it. He just is. And and also the chemistry of like when someone dies, even though they're brilliant. Like uh, I watched Stuart Lee absolutely die somewhere. I can't remember where on the South Bank, and I had absolutely loved it, but I hadn't laughed but I just really appreciated it all the way through. But largely it was a, it was an audience that just didn't get him, a sort of drunk sort of Saturday afternoon crowd, you know, at oh, festival vibe. God. And they just didn't get him. And he was there at his table afterwards, supposedly signing DVDs and no one was there. Oh. <laughs> I was like, no one understands what a genius this man is. He's a genius. But um, 
it's hard to die as well. But um, I think once you've died really badly, it sort of can't ever get that bad again. So you think, well, it can only be as bad as that, and I survived that. So let's <laughs> let's, let's go crack again. On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you changed modules and went right. I'm going to do stand up comedy. Yes, I did. Um, Where do you even begin? I'm fascinated. Do you go through? Did you play with? character comedy do you were you going to be yourself how how, how did so you start eventually i ended up doing char- character comedy i ended up doing a character called chastity butterworth but she was a long long sort of found thing initially it was just myself and the tutor would just say just write in detail about the first 10 minutes of your morning in detail was one of our exercises and then another one was walk around campus and just find funny things to talk about and sometimes you'd be like, well, that's probably not funny, but I'll try and work it up. And then you'd get in the room and say, well, this might be funny or this might not be. And yeah, so it was just exercise based on like complete observation of ourselves and our surroundings initially was the module. And then it would it culminated in five minutes at the King's Head um, up in Crouch End. Oh, we had our first live I, gig I, in front of our I, pals, which was I really great. Used, I used to live around the corner from there. Oh, did and that's you? The fir- I saw Eddie Izzard there. Oh, you lucky years thing. Years ago, wow. down in that sweaty, sticky carpeted room downstairs. What a vibe, though. What a great vibe. It was a really low-ceilinged, sort of dingy place Mm. of perfection for that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, And then I didn't go back to it for about six years. Um, Why why such a long period? I went and joined sort of comedy sketch groups and tried out for things, desperately trying to get an agent. And uh I, I, I was a dancer is, is this, as well, so I worked as a dancer for quite a while, and just is this as a as a stand up? No, no, no. Yeah, as a stand up. So I didn't get back to stand up for about six years because I went. In, you know, I'd done it. I felt like okay, I've done it, and I was quite good at it. That's it. It was too terrifying. I won't go back to it. And then I went off, and I, as I said, I used to dance professionally, and I used to, um, I did lots of other little jobs, and I was trying to get an agent. And it seemed like the only way to get an agent was to sort of try and show them live stuff, to try and do videos or try and get them to a gig. So I started doing stand-up again to try and land an agent. Um, And, yeah, it sort of went on from there, really. Uh, Was it fulfilling for you? Yeah, it was, enormously. Being a stand-up? Enormously, yeah. And then when I eventually did get an agent, she suggested that I try character stand-up. And so I created Chastity Butterworth and sort of have similar material but just sort of heightened the the juxtaposition areas you know sort of this very sort of posh Mary Poppins type woman saying things that you wouldn't expect her to say I suppose the comedy of opposites but um mm. yeah it was all very physical and very mannered and very ticky my performance as well um and yeah I did that went to Edinburgh did a did a sort of my first, I'd call it an hour, but I sort of limped at about 45 minutes. It was never going to be a hit. But I tried, I did it. Because I, I won um, a funny women competition. I, I won it and my prize was to work up a show and take it to Edinburgh. So I'd always wanted to, so I did that. And uh, yeah. So when you, say, when you say you won a prize to take it to Edinburgh, was that, was the financial burden yeah. taken away yeah. from you? Yeah. So, right, okay, yeah. which is a huge thing, because as anybody knows with oh, Edinburgh it's Festival... It's crippling. You're not walking out making anything. You, you know, you're lucky if you break... You're very lucky, I Very suppose, lucky break if you break even. even, yeah. Yeah, so the financial burden was taken from me, and so, you know, I would have been foolish not to try. Um, and how was that? How was that Edinburgh? It was all right. I was doing two shows, actually. I was doing a, a Philip Ridley monologue. 
um, which was intense. It was called Dark Vanilla Jungle, and it was an intense uh, play, obviously a one-woman monologue for about an hour and 20 non-stop about a girl who'd been abused. Um, And so I'd do that about three o'clock in the afternoon. Then I'd sort of wipe away my tears and sweat, get up, go across the road and do Chastity Busterworth for an hour. <laughs> I lost so much weight and I was just so like I treated it like a business trip I just went to bed I got up I did my shows I went to sleep but where my love was was the monologue I absolutely f- was thrilled and fulfilled by that monologue even though it was the most difficult intense thing I'd done um, and then the Chastity Worth, it wasn't quite ready it wasn't a great show it was half filled audiences but it was quite a nice thing to do after an, <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes time of throwing myself about doing the Philip Ridley. So it was a great Edinburgh, but um, I think it, it certainly showed me that I didn't really want to do stand-up as a career. It was it was certainly the acting that, that I was hoping to segue into. And then I mentioned to my agent, I didn't really want to go up to the comedy parts anymore. I wanted to try and get into drama. And then she sent me up for another comedy part. However, the casting director happened to be the same casting director as Game of Thrones, and the rest is history. So... So it was a conscious decision to to move away from comedy. It was more of a conscious decision to move away from stand up. I think that I'd sort of I'd, I'd filled my boots with that, and like the the anxiety and the nerves before the gig were outweighing the pleasure. And also, I wasn't coming up with new material, so I was sort of quite repetitive and being booked for gigs and saying the same things. It was I just well, my heart wasn't in it, and I wasn't burning to make new material. Um. So I just mentioned to my agent that I'd love to try and do drama. And she said, well, it's very difficult. You know, people don't really take comedians very seriously. It's difficult to cross over. I said, but Olivia Coleman did. And she said, well, we'll see. And then, yeah, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time for this casting director to see me for a comedy part that was also casting Yara Greyjoy at the time. But now, you know, you say uh, the crossover may have been hard a few years ago. It isn't now. No, I think you're right. You see more yeah. and more yeah. um, stand-up comedians cross over into more dramatic, quote-unquote, serious roles. Yeah. Because they're so fucking good at the comedy element, it's quite easy for yeah. them to, to switch. I mean... It's timing, thought, isn't it? I think to be a good comedy actor, you, 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 there's something about a, a timing, a, a physicality, a knowingness. that there, There's just... A, b- a bit that people have or don't have for comedy, which is not a, a good or bad. It's just you have it or you don't. And I, and I think you can't teach it or learn it. Um, you can get better at it and observe it and kind of work out what suits you and how you're funny. But, yeah, you're right. To sort of switch over to drama, you've got a sense of timing, a sense of where your body is, a sense of your mm. space. And I think also as a, as a trained as a dancer... I can always hit my mark. The, the sort of physicality of your space is quite... I think Amber Anderson was talking about having been a model. She sort of always knew her body and, and where she was and how to be seen by the camera. And I know eventually she was told to sort of relax. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think everything you've done prior to sort of, you know, those big drama roles really feeds into um, the, the skill set, I suppose. Yeah. Jesus, we're always told to relax. I know, it's so the, hard, isn't the, it? <laughs> no, but the start of... of a new job and it is a new job Mm -hmm. so it is the first day of school it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it you have to forge relationships extremely quickly 
but you can't force them because then they become forced yeah. and unnatural. Yeah. But also you have to take your time, but also you can't really take your time because you've yeah. got, to kind, of re- got yeah. to kind of build these relationships uh, quite quickly. So you just it's a constant balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you've got to, you do become a family very quickly, don't you? And then you will disperse. But yeah, it's, it's not not trying too hard, not over you know, overhitting your mark or overstepping your mark or whatever and just, yeah, being relatable. It's, <laughs> it's just really uh, but it's just, I mean, it's, uh, again, you know, I said before about people moaning and I'm not moaning here, I'm just talking about facts. Um, it is a constant sort of balancing act and a, you walk in a tightrope yeah. all the time because you don't want to um, come across... in an ungenerous manner so you don't want to be aloof you don't want to be oh why you being what what are you being called what are you being called for just just you want to be as natural as possible but you don't want to be over familiar that's right i think being over familiar is is a trait that's a bit like oh mm, yeah 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 we're we're not there yeah we're not there yeah i completely agree that can have that can have tremendous impacts in, in a negative way yeah Friendly, but uh, judged. No, no, you, well-judged no, no, friendliness, let's call it well, that. Well, well-judged friendliness, yes. <laughs> know your place. Exactly. Um, are you good at leaving things in the room? And I'm not... I'm talking about prior to jobs. I'm probably talking about auditions now. Though Those long, forgotten things that we don't get to go in rooms anymore and yeah, I meet know. people. Yeah, I know, self-tapes or... Yeah, I think, again, I've got better at it. Uh, initially, I'd be sort of angsting by the phone and sort of trying to sort of subtly text my agent going, uh, you know, I mean, I don't mind either way, but it would just be nice to know so I can let it go. <laughs> mm. um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think often if I've gone in and I know I've tried my best, I had the material down, I gave the best version of what I think it should be at this stage, then I can generally let it go. But occasionally if I've got too nervous or I've overthought it or I've got too worked up about how big this would be and, and I can't quite find it in the room, then I really struggle to let go of it. Or I, I'll angst actually in the room and I'll say, listen, do you want to try it a different way? Even though I know it's like, this is a no, just leave the room with some grace. Occasionally <laughs> I've gone, are you happy? Do you want to try it another way? And we've tried it another way and it's still been disastrous. It's just, it's not a fit. Um, on paper, it looked like a fit for me. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a shoe in And then it's just got the better of me in the room. But yeah, I'm, I'm all right at letting it go and going, you know, what's for you won't pass you and all that. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I remember I remember, I went up for um, the role of Moena in um, Doc Martin that my very good friend Jess Ransom got. But she and I were both up for it at the same time. This is about, what, was 12 years ago now, 10, 11 years ago. And um, we were both up for it. And we were, both, we were the last two, and I'd just changed things too much in my third recall. And I angst about it, and I didn't know. I was, I was trying to ask my agent and all that, and about maybe sort of two weeks went by. I was like, but, it, you know, they really gave me the impression it might be mine. And then Jess and I happened to be doing a sort of run-through for a panel show, and I said to her, I stupidly said to her, before we started filming, did you hear anything? And she said, yeah, I did. I heard the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really great for her. And I was completely able to be, because it was a relief in a way to know, at least, okay, you know now. 
But then, of course, I had to go on and work with her all day when I really wanted this job because it would have been a break. However, had I got that, I wouldn't have been able to do Game of Thrones. So... (laughs) Everything. I mean, yeah. not to be cliched, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and she's brilliant even. in that role. And um, yes, it's it. It all works out for the best and the best people. But uh, it's a lesson, isn't it? And just going well, that really hurt at the time. But look what happened. Um, so yeah. Well, you know, with hindsight, it's you know easy to. But at the time, you just go yeah. <gasps> <sighs> Absolutely. And then I felt embarrassed that I tried too hard and all that stuff about people pleasing and what my that casting director probably won't see me again because I tried too hard and I, I changed my clothes. And I, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you change your clothes to the audition. Yes, day, because you changed your clothes. <laughs> it's just it's one of the many things <laughs> on the, <laughs> the list that you're agonised about going, why the on earth did I wear that top? Isn't it it? I love that I didn't blame wrong. my lack of talent. I blamed my clothes. <laughs> 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 anything to get that cat of nine tails out exactly, and just exactly. lash your back not with my it. fault you mentioned then about um panel shows one of the things that i used to struggle with not so much now because i do this week in week out um was being myself yes. was was um you know because for those that don't know, uh, you know, the job doesn't end until you end your promotion and you're you're going on this morning or you're going on certain... And you have to talk about, you know, more or less, it's kind of the same questions, but then you get really good interviewers who are listening and their uh, levels of curiosity is much higher than... The, the norm yeah. oh how did you get the job well you know I auditioned for it and that's the way it goes but I used to have a real I used to be like a clam yeah about being myself because I was just I think I was just embarrassed really about talking about any sort of process or the making of it yeah. or being myself and then panel shows is a completely different thing because you have to kind of be yourself but a version of yourself. I'm absolutely crap at them, exactly for that reason. (laughs) Like, it was a very short-lived little foray. I went on something called, I can't remember, it was Nick Grimshaw was the presenter. And I went on and I was just terrified and I couldn't be myself. And I started doing, like, a London accent. Like... Gemma Whelan. I know, I know. And my, my very good friend, John text me and went basically what the fuck like <laughs> like he, he will always call me out on things and I was like I know I will never be asked on a panel show again it's not a career path I ever want to follow it's fine I don't want the ground to swallow me because I did that but like I was just trying to fit in or do something that was mm. interesting because I didn't feel mm-hmm. interesting enough and I wasn't it was, I just, it was just it was just awful and I was very cleverly edited into a small section of the show <laughs> Yes, thank God for the editors. Really appear elsewhere, um, but yeah, that was not something I ever wished to repeat, and I don't think panel shows and I are ever going to get on, and that's okay by me. But yeah, I completely no. agree. Like, it becomes a bit of a skill, doesn't it, doing these interviews and promo? Because 
I agree. I like, why is anyone really interested in the, you know, what, what was it about this that, that made you want to take the job? And like, sometimes the real truthful answer is it was a good paycheck and I've got a mortgage, but you can't say that. So you've got to be, well, I really love the script, which is true as well, but you have to really talk around it. You can't always be candid, but Daisy May Cooper's, <laughs> she, you see her on the, oh, the one God. show. She's like, well, it's a paycheck, wasn't it? And I, you know, it's like fair dues. It was a paycheck. She's being honest because sometimes, it's, it is a great script and you love the writer and you've always wanted to work with those people and that's all true too. But we can't say it was also a decent paycheck because then you'll sound greedy or maybe you won't, maybe you'll sound candid, I don't know. But it's, it is a sort of fine line to, once again to tread with those sort of promotion interviews to sort of appear interesting and interested and also trying to make sense of a job that you did maybe a year and a half ago that you can't really remember. <laughs> Oh my God, that is the worst thing because it's like, I have no idea. I can't even remember what was my, I don't even know who I was playing. No, I can't remember what I was wearing, who I was working with, what, what script that was. So you've got to sort of dig it up on your emails on the way in going, well, I suppose that, oh yeah, I could talk about that bit. And I, oh yeah, there was that. But, um, but also it's a, it is also, and again, not to sound cliche, but it is about reading the room because it's like, what, right. Oh, Oh, it's this morning. Oh, it's the yeah, one show. You're right, I, yeah. I, I, I've got a flavour of what they what they want and what Agreed. they're going to ask. Yes, fair point. Yeah, um, uh, or, and then you go, oh, actually, it's front row on Radio Four, so they're gonna they're gonna be slightly more intelligent yeah, with their yeah, question. Exactly. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that this morning and the one show are kind of dumbing down, Completely but it's understand. like. It's just it's just certain levels yes. of questioning. Yeah. So once you're into it, you go right. I kind of I kind of know what yeah, what absolutely. you need me to give. I um I did BBC. I hope that, I hope that doesn't because, sound pompous. No, no, it doesn't at all. Because no. I, I um here's an example. I went on BBC Breakfast a couple of weeks ago to to talk about um, Gentleman Jack, and mm. you know what you're expected to do and what the questions will be. And then two or three days ago, for the same show, I was on BBC Five Live. And, well, I um, heard oh, that there's my the baby. other day. Oh. I was on BBC Five Live and, um, ba- yeah, basically I was in the supermarket and I was trying not to get called out on it because I'd forgotten. <laughs> and then Freddie woke up and burped on, on, on air. And then the tower came on and, like, you know, Easter promotions. But, like, again, it just, like, reading the room, it's like, I feel like this is okay and I can just call it and it's okay. And I'm going to get Freddie and I'll come back. Hold on. Okay, you go. I'm bringing you no, I'm not recording anymore. Oh, Okay. This is this is a bit like it's a bit like a, a repeat of Five Lives. <gasps> Hello, oh Gemma, he's gorgeous. Look at how I. No, he look. Let's be honest. Not all babies are gorgeous. You are beautiful. Hello. 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 <laughs> Oh. In the cupboard. I mean, I don't know how you now, feel about a bit of snuffling on the um, audio. Absolutely love but, um, a bit of snuffling, on the, snuffling on the audio. Now, no, all good, all good. <laughs> it's texture, it adds it's to texture. everything. So, um, yes, did I conclude that? I did the Radio 5 Live, yeah, what they expect of you. Yeah, and one thing, one thing we have to cover before, um, obviously we're not going anywhere yet, but did you work in Pizza Hut in Wood Green? Did I hear you correctly? Yes, I did. Because I used to work there too. Fuck off. Yeah, I used to work there too. When? I was when? At, yeah, when I was at Middlesex University, 
would have mm. been about 20 years ago now. Um, um, I worked there. <laughs> I worked there for two weeks because it was so horrendous. Oh, it's... <laughs> oh, it was so horrendous. But It um, was as corrupt a place as I've ever worked. Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the, the straw that broke the back for me, I, I mean, there was many, many straws, but the one that mm. broke, I think someone just sort of didn't pay. They ran for it, didn't pay, but left a penny on the table. So, I, of course, it has to come out of your paycheck when someone does a runner. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of squeezing all that horrible... Oh, sorry, darling. All of that horrible coleslaw into the salad oh, bar. And, oh, it's just a it's, grim it's, it's place. Disgusting. But, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that, like, was that... Oh, no, yeah, you heard that place? right. <laughs> the thing is, <clears throat> um, whilst at drama school, my neighbours, who were also students of, of different years... Um, we're all very well fed because I would just take home all the leftover pizzas. Yeah. Um, yep. And, you know, I used a, to Friday, take home a Thursday, so Friday stuff. and Saturday, yeah. I was walking down um, the high road with like, you know, sometimes five or six pizzas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much, so much food. So, yeah, that was the only perk of it. But, yeah, I just want <laughs> just little segues, like weird jobs we've had. Not... You know, as I've said before, and as people have <clears throat> heard for the last five years, certainly when I've talked to actors, I don't tend to focus on jobs. But there's something interesting about your career <clears throat> that you took a well-loved, established sitcom on television and you took it to the stage. Yes. So, how were your feelings about that initially? Because... Sometimes the transition doesn't work. You know, we've seen that throughout history. Yeah. So how did you feel? I felt like it was more likely to work than some because we had filmed it in front of a live studio audience. So it was multi-camera, live studio audience, and, um, and, and people used to fall about laughing, thankfully, at, at all the stuff we did. So I felt like it had the best chance to 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 fly and it had a mm -hmm. huge fan base as well mm -hmm. um so yeah I th and, it, and it was i mean obviously we got shut is it with his upstart crow we're talking about um yes and yes. um it had a uh it had about five weeks in the west end before we had to close because of lockdown but um yeah i i i guess i i guess i naively hadn't really thought that it would be a failure because it was such no, a well-loved no, show. But I, mean, I think I'm you're not... absolutely right. Sometimes adaptations are to be steered very well clear of. But I felt, having read the script and having Sean Foley as the director and like the, the same who cast is, as the TV show, we, we had the best chance as any. Yeah. yeah. But also, I, I wasn't at all suggesting that you thought it would fail. No, I was, no. But it, I, mean, I, was, I, was, risk, I was kind of it? thinking... Um, Right, okay, so we're in a television studio. Yes, we're multi-camera, but still I'm not playing f in a theatre, so I'm, therefore I'm not giving a theatrical performance. I'm giving a television, but a multi-camera yeah, yeah. performance. And then you, you transition to theatre and things do change. Yeah, you're right. So you're you have right, to, yeah. You, there, 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 there's... You have to adapt. I, I totally agree with you. And I think ha I had done stage before, so I knew sort of like 
the volume on everything you're doing needs to be turned up, not just mm. the audio. Um, and I think a couple of the other actors who hadn't done stage yet, you know, did find that transition quite scary because like what i feel like i'm shouting and why have i got my head sort of cocked halfway up and like you know it is a different skill set isn't it to learn and yeah um yeah so it was it was a an interesting transition for all of us i think um but equally because it's multi-camera like a lot of a lot of the way we used to perform was quite as if we were on a stage it was we all had to always had to face the front and sort of make sure the camera could always see us like you do in the theater when make sure the audience can always see you so uh-huh yeah but uh, I think and also you've got you've got you know the captain of your ship there, Sean Foley, who is such a, a, a well a genius when it comes to comedy. Yeah, yeah. You know he he und forensically he understands everything and he knows the beats. Yeah, exactly. So he and, knows and a, it, yeah, and it's that trust thing, isn't it? Like you were saying yeah. before, like this guy knows what he's talking about, and I'm going to try everything he says, and like invariably, like. God, I would never have thought that would be funny to leave that an extra five seconds or to slow that down so much that it's almost painful and it would be funny. Like, for his sort of comedia background to really sort of come into the fore was really exciting to, to have in the room. And um, and then, of course, having David Mitchell um, as our sort of other sort of pilot um, who <laughs> sort of steadfastly refused to do any comedia because he's decided who he is as Shakespeare but was still brilliant. <laughs> But we did but manage David's... to get him dance. We got him to dance. He did this incredible oh, really? dance at the end. I mean, we all danced together, but he blimmin' well learned it, and it was it was fantastic. So yeah, you can teach an old dog new tricks. But he is so good. He's with, so good with with an with an audience. You're you know, absolutely I mean, right. Like him and and the the live sitcom was the live recording was always fantastic because he would just sort of break out and and be so. Uh, perfectly well-judged, hilarious, and then, you know, just get back into it. And, yeah, it's a, it's a real skill. He's a fantastic man. Do you, do you find the balance uh, of comedy and drama satisfying now? Or do you hark back to, oh, I think I need a bit more of A in my life or a bit more of B? I feel quite satisfied I think at the moment especially because Gentleman Jack really manages to straddle comedy and drama mm. for, for the character mm-hmm. I play um, yes very much and then to do something like the Moor side which was just pure drama and then other things that just have sort of levity in them which is nice so yeah I feel even Game of Thrones had quite a lot of levity and humour in it so yeah um, I think a lot of script writers try to pepper their dramas with some sort of humour at some stage. So, yeah, I feel I feel quite satisfied that the spread is... But, uh, you know, before we were talking about um, people's styles of stand-up and there's nothing worse, uh, well, at times, than a stand-up that comes on and forces comedy and forces yeah, laughter. Because yeah. it's like, that's just not funny. Again, when you read, you read a script and you go, no, you've forced, you've, yes. you've really forced this humour in here. Just, yeah. if we just play it for real and we, it'll come. Yeah. The, 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 the lightness, lightness of touch. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is key, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, in the, just the pure, it's why I always think a line run on set before you do anything is so important because, everyone's listening to each other, not just worrying about what they're going to do or where they're standing. It's like, let's just listen to each other, say these beats, because 
things will be revealed in this moment as well. And the, and the words will play themselves if we just say them cleanly to each other. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's, it's um, I don't know, it's a, it's alchemy again, I think, you know, to sort of find those mm-hmm. those moments. And, you know, again, I think, you know, we come back, we've come back to it over this conversation. It is all about trust because it's trust with your director and it's trust with your fellow actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's awful, isn't it, sometimes? I've, I've been sort of fortunate to most, most, mostly sort of, you know, trustworthy people, but occasionally, I've you know, people I've had, I've worked with who just don't get it or at least for my way of working don't seem to get it and it's really hard to sort of uh, like occasionally I've worked with people who just sort of come in immediately with a problem or immediately with quite a lot of questions about like well I don't think this and I don't think this and I don't think this and what like prior to even a line run? Yeah, prior to even a line run. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I know that's sort of maybe smacks of nervousness and insecurity, and but like just please let's just say the words, and then we'll see how we all feel about it. And then it might be right that you do what it says in the stage directions, and it very well might not be right. But let's just it, it goes back to you know sort of moaners that kind of thing as well. Just like finding a problem before there is a problem is um, quite tricky to work with, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I know know exactly what you're saying, but I suppose my question is how do you... How do you deal with that? And I suppose how, in the past, how did you deal with that? Because I know how I used to deal with things like that, and I'll hold my hands up. I don't think they were productive, in the way I used to deal with it, but I think that comes from uh, lack of knowledge and naivety and being uh, a young, probably quite mouthy actor. He's like, oh, shut up, let's get on with it. Just do the fucking now, lines. But now I'm very good at, um, I suppose, sitting back and keeping my mouth shut. Yeah, I think that's until, all you can until, do. Until it comes to a point where... You've got to say, should we just try it? Should we just try it? Like, it's been half an hour and we've not even tried it. (laughs) Yeah, because... uh, Yes, of course, we're there to solve problems. And there's enough problems anyway. Yeah. Right? And there's always time pressure. Huge amounts of time pressure. How many times have you heard... Sorry, do you think we could just, if ever we could, if we just have like half yeah. an hour just to complete? Oh my God. We're having 15 minutes gonna... grace, 15 minutes grace. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, like often in filming, like you go over by 15 minutes, they don't have to pay anyone, but you go a minute over that 15 minutes, they have to pay the full hour. So they're always trying to go 15 minutes grace, 15 minutes grace, and then they're not allowed to change the cameras. It's all very, very complicated, the rules around it. But yeah, can we just ask everyone to stay half an hour? Can we... Well, you were saying that you know. stayed late last night, eh? Uh, I did, I did, yeah, because we had to. Well, we had to shoot in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You because it, stay, because it was an it was an it was an exterior night shoot, and there's it's like it's, yeah, some, we did that on DIY quite a lot. It's like we just got to wait for the dark. I'm sorry, it's like but it's, we've already wrapped. It's like well, 
Someone misjudged the sunset. <laughs> there's nothing we can do. No, otherwise we will come back tomorrow and like, no, don't make me do that. I'll stay. <laughs> Gemma, has there ever been a time where you've thought, look, I don't think this is for me? Never. Never, ever, ever. I knew you were going to say that. It's, I don't know if, if you have this or... Like, there's always been a little quiet place inside me that just knows this is what I want to do. And I don't want it to sound arrogant or anything, but I feel like this is the best version of where I belong. And I feel safest and happiest and most fulfilled when I'm on set. And Jerry is like, what? You're just sitting around all day. Like, often I'll get a text from him going, you've done anything yet? (laughs) (laughs) And quite often the answer's no, but I've got dressed, I've sat in my trailer, I've had some breakfast and we've done a line run, but they're setting the lights up now. And, you know, to many people that would be so boring, but I just love it. And hearing action and doing the work and I just, I would never do anything else. And I I really hope that I keep being allowed to do this. Um, But yeah, how about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just all about connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, You know, the thing is, you know, even though... we're not characters now. We're not talking as other people. But I find the parallels of doing this and the other career, uh, there's, you know, there are parallels because it is about connection and it's about listening. That's such and a great about, thing, great way of putting it, yeah. Because I've learned, you know, you know, we're ending this season nine now of this podcast after five years and it's all about growth and it's all about learning, I think. And I've learned more, not learned more, but I, I'm constantly learning with all the conversations that I have on this podcast. And I take them into the acting. It, yeah, it, it, it really, a bit, a bit, yeah. It, it's just, it's just like I'm, I'm constantly at university. Yeah. And I think I think that's a, a, a good trait to have as an actor, isn't it? To always be hungry, to always be listening and observing and learning from other people. Mm. Um, yeah. But even you just saying that, like, it's all about connection. And I, that's such a perfect way to put it. It's connecting with people and I guess sort of being seen and responding to, to one another is so powerful. And also it's it's it's... It's organic. Yeah. It's the, it's the, me and you now are having this conversation for the very first time. Mm. And that's what you want to portray as soon as yeah. they say action. Absolutely. We've never said these words before and this is how we would say them. Mm. And then to recreate that when you've said them 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> and you still don't you feel still you can get it right. Not get it right and you go home and stew. <laughs> but yeah. It's a, it's a bit of magic again. I keep saying it, but I'm, uh, yeah. Gemma Whelan, this has just been the best way to end the season. I don't want it to end. I'm enjoying chatting to you so much. It may be because I don't speak to any adults, but <laughs> I am really enjoying talking to you. I don't want it to, f- well, to finish. You tell Jerry to get out of the shower and make He's out of the shower. He's gone to work now. That's why I've got, <laughs> oh, has he gone to that's work? Why, that's why Freddie's cooing in the cupboard next to me. I'm, for full disclosure, to try and entertain him, I'm waving a box of tampons at him. <laughs> 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 I 
Is it all I can who, find in the cupboard? I'm like, just hold on to that for a bit while I finish this. <laughs> who needs who needs uh, a child's who mobile above their crib? He's got my just, um, my earphones and a, a box of tampons. He doesn't know a what box they are. tampons. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end this conversation in the end of this season than talking about uh, your tampons. Uh, Gemma Whelan. What um, a low, what a low end. I'm so sorry, everyone. I mean, you say low, I say hi. I say Gemma hi. Gemma Whelan, this has been gorgeous. And when I see you in person, I'm going to take you out for a cup of tea or a glass of wine. I would love that. It's been so, so lovely to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. So to be on it is a real thrill. And I hope, well, I hope the, the pressure of the end of season nine was, was lived up to somehow. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> has. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Lots of love. Thanks, Craig. Bye. And the end of season nine is done. What an absolutely beautiful person Gemma Whelan is. I'm sure you got a measure of her. I certainly did. That was the first time that uh, we chatted. And if you support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash twoshotpod, then um, her lightning round is brilliant, you know. Um, Thank you while I'm at it. Thank you so much for everybody that does support us over on there. If you uh, feel that you can, if you feel that... um, this season, these 20 episodes have been what you wanted. If they've entertained you, kept you company, inspired you in any way, whatever, um, and you can support us financially, then go over. Um, and I've, I can't, don't want to say. Now, speaking of Patreon, next week I'm going to be talking to you. Check your feeds with some extremely exciting news, okay? Yeah, you're going to know more next week. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm dying to tell you, but I won't. What I will tell you is whilst we are off air, still working behind the scenes, we're not slacking, um, there's a couple of new podcasts that I'm really enjoying that I think you should check out. Uh, the first one is Crushed by Margaret Cable Smith. I listened to it over on um, Spotify. Uh, it's fantastic and very funny. Uh, the first what episode that came out a couple of weeks ago is Margaret talking to the lovely Dolly Alderton. Um, and I can exclusively reveal that Dolly will be one of my guests in season 10. Speaking of season 10, I'm going to let you know now. John Sim is coming back for a part two. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking lots, lots more things. Lots more things. We're going to be talking a lot more things. <laughs> I can't speak. Um, I'm very excited. Um, yeah, we will be talking uh, more in depth uh, about certain jobs and certain work. And we'll be going deep into Doctor Who. Um, I thought you might like it. Uh, and I loved talking with John. So uh, he suggested about coming on for part two. And I said, absolutely. Um, now, another podcast that I think you should get your ears around. Um, Joel Morris. Uh, I've been a big fan of his for years. If you enjoyed and devoured uh, Rule of Three, 
which is a podcast he co-hosts with Jason Hazley. Um, I believe it's coming back. If you haven't heard that, that's another recommendation. It's brilliant. They get a guest on each week. Uh, they talk uh, about comedy and they dissect certain episodes or film, what the guest brings. It's, it's great. He has a new show um, called Comfort Blanket. It's available now wherever you get podcasts. Um, so, yeah, get involved with that. Uh, the first one is with Rufus Jones talking about Raise of the Lost Ark. Um, so, yeah, uh, right. Um, what is there to say? I hate goodbyes. It's not goodbye. It's just, I'll see you in a bit. That's what it is, okay? So, thank you for all the love this season. It's been cracking. It really has. It, I think breaking it up into seasons is the way to go. And um, the guests have been remarkable. I want to thank each and every one of my guests. Producer Griff for all his fantastic hard work. You for downloading your messages, your emails, your support on social media. You know where we are, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, emails, twoshoppod at gmail.com. See, I remembered it now after five years. Um, and that's it. That's it. We're going to take a well-deserved break. But remember, check your feeds for some exciting news next week. So until season 10, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. I'll see you soon. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>